Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Someplace underneath. Hello, Natalie. Does anybody ever call you Ambular? No, but they call me Smelson. Smelson? But you smell lovely. Oh. Is it because you smell good? Because my name is Amber Sophia <laughs> Nelson, and Amber Sophia Nelson sounds like a little pageant girl that went missing. Um, You are not. You are from the South, so I could see you being a pageant girl, but you did not go missing, fortunately for us. No, you weren't God. a pageant girl, were you? I did one pageant, <gasps> and um, I was very bad at it. I did it to please my mother because she's the queen of beauty pageants, and a lot of women in my family are just incredibly beautiful and poised, and I was not. Um, I was uh, very spooky, and I had sticks in my hair, <laughs> so I did it. But you're you're still beautiful and poised. <laughs> Thank you. It took many years of training and trying. I hard. think I, I wish you still had sticks in your hair. <laughs> I say put them back in. Thank you for coming along on this journey. Welcome to Someplace Underneath episode fucking one. Ooh. You're really helping me out here. I'm a little fascinated by dark stories and mysteries, mm-hmm. particularly when a woman is involved. And I've been reading so much about it that I needed to talk about it because I feel like justice is not being served very often. No, it's not. And I want to try to help and also just like talk about these stories because I don't feel like they're being told, which is what the meaning of the title is. People go missing all the time and it's a shame when they're just like, oh, they went missing. But if you went missing, wouldn't you want someone talking about you, looking for you? I would. And it's hard, especially when it's adults, because there's all these uh, sort of things that come into play with that where maybe they don't want to be found or maybe it's their prerogative to go missing. They want to hide. Right. In that case, hopefully I'm not talking about somebody who's trying to hide from like, somebody. We found you. No, it's <laughs> no God. The government. No. <laughs> no. I won't mostly mostly won't be talking about that. The reason I'm starting with this episode, it's one of the most onerous, maddening prolific cases and that's of Shelley Miscavige. It's great. A lot of people know about it and they're like, oh, wow, she went missing. And then that's that. Yeah. It's one of those cases that really, I think, embodies what I want to do with this show, which is to talk about a story where we've all just nodded in agreement that this woman is just kind of missing and then we move on with our day, which there's a lot of challenges to this. And I know. And also talking about her is also going to address other things that are problematic in Scientology beyond the obvious things, that being that there are technically other missing people in Scientology. Her name is the most famous because she is at the top of the pyramid, but there are people who haven't been seen by anyone but Scientologists in decades. Yeah, their family. They have to cut off their family. Mm-hmm. And that's when you know you're in a cult, when they're like, be with us. Don't anybody who says you can't be with us, just cut them out of your life. Yeah, there's a lot of warning signs, but it's really interesting in that I've never been in a cult, but I was, you know, in destructive relationships, shall we say. And it's sometimes so hard to see it until you're right outside of it and you're like, what the fuck was that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, he was punching the wall? Yeah. He was punching the wall and I was blaming myself for that? And I was like, well, if I just don't do that, he won't punch the wall anymore. <laughs> it's my fault. It's my fault. Um, yeah. So sometimes it's really hard when you're in there and I get it. So it's really, it's not a, you know, pointing finger situation, except at David Miscavige, I will point all of my fingers at him, especially my middle one. Mm, and my toes. I'll point my toes I'll at point him. my toes right at him. But, you know, it, it, this is a fascinating Cult. I'm just going to call it a cult because it is. And it's a high control subculture. 
basically. So it's very uncomfortably easy to erase a person from existence within side of one of those units. And they own a lot of things, Scientology. Do you know they own the Arclight Theater? Yes. That's my favorite theater. Yeah, they own LA. they own a lot. They don't have that many people anymore, but they have a ton of money. The real estate, which is the money baby. Yeah, that's where you got to take it from Scientology. You got to invest in some real estate if you get some cash. You oh, know? man. They just have huge like buildings of people. And oh, I was yeah. talking to my friend and she says that her, like a friend of a friend went into the Scientology. She hasn't seen them in forever because during COVID, they all got locked down and like they can't leave. Mm-hmm. They're in masks all the time. And I'm a very social person. I'm like talking to people, you know. And then this van pulls up and all these people come out and they're getting all these to-go orders for their friends. And I'm like, hey, was that sandwich place good? What's going on? Is that sandwich good? And they refuse to speak to me. And she's like, they're the Scientology people. <laughs> I actually, because we have a newer Scientology building near where we live in Los Angeles. And for the first time in three years, I saw people going into it the other day. Which made me sad because usually it's completely empty. They have tons of empty buildings around the country. So weird. No um, one goes in or out. No. It's real. They're shells to keep their tax free status, which is a big problem. I also myself went and visited Gold Base from the outside because I was really curious about it. And I'll talk about that later on in the uh, series that we're doing. That is really one of the things that I'm going to talk about a lot on the show, which is. Within the freedoms of our country, we have also given people free reign to basically abuse the idea of spirituality and religion. And Scientology is right at the top of that, where they, in order to get tax-exempt status, they became a church. They called themselves a church and started adding crosses into their imagery and calling things church words in order to get this state well my friend my friend he was an uber driver (laughs) my close friend juan uh, um, but he's from mexico and he said um people who come from mexico usually don't speak that great of english and are usually very catholic Mm -hmm. so they see these crosses right and they go in there thinking it's catholic and they go in and get got yep exactly i mean that was kind of part of the (laughs) cruel part of the scam and I mean, good job, because we're watching uh, the Nexium documentary right now, and that only lasted for a few years. Scientology has really dragged this out. But part of having a large sect a lot of times is females are very hard to account for. And I mean, like, cis-born females. I'm going to try to never misgender during this podcast, but if I do, I apologize and I'm going to work on it. But they're really just... The females in within these kind of communities are often expected to live, work, and kind of exist solely within their tiny microcosms. So sometimes it's really hard to even clock their existence. Yeah. Do they even have a social security number? Right. Which is terrifying. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. there's then there's no rules. Just right. Is that um? <laughs> That's the Outback Steakhouse. I think so. Um, So it's just like Outback Steakhouse. (laughs) Um, In those scenarios, I want to talk about what consent looks like. Because, say, in the case of Shelly, she hasn't been seen publicly since 2007. She hasn't been seen on documented video since 2004. And whenever a missing persons report was filed by Leah Remini in 2013, which was documented on her show, detectives allegedly made contact with her. What? Yeah, and they claim that upon being interviewed, she said she was fine and she asked to be left alone. Within that, there are several problems. (laughs) One being, if a grown adult says she's happy and doesn't want to be bothered, should we just leave her alone? It sounds like we should, right? But it's more complicated than that. For one, I'm not really convinced that the detectives actually saw her. And that's just a complete opinion. That's speculation. But a lot of times the LAPD and the system within Los Angeles has been pretty corrupt because of money. And there's a lot of different points where it looks like Scientology has sort of paid off authority figures for things. So that's just a complete speculation. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. But also the other side of that, this is basically what this yeah. this series is going to be about, is that we know her name and we know that she's missing, but I didn't know really anything else about her. No. But also according to their culture, are we brainwashed? Whoa. 
But I say you're brainwashed if you can't like go to the grocery store and get a sandwich. Well, yeah, that's when consent comes into play with this because they can crow all day about us being brainwashed into a society or whatever. But mm-hmm. we still have the choice. If we want to go hiding, we can. If we want to move somewhere, we can. And, and then we can still talk to everyone we've ever known. Yeah. But if a culture tells us, no, you can't do that. You can't go to the grocery. You can't go look at that. You can't wear that. Then that's that's a, a problem. Right. And so when she's saying she's consenting to her imprisonment, but has never had choices in her life to like have an orgasm or like been day drunk at a less than Jake show, <laughs> you know, if you've never had those opportunities, do you even understand what consent is? Yeah. I mean, you want to go back to the prison. Like there was this kid from North Korea who escaped the camps. And um, I saw an interview where he was like, I want to go back because I don't understand this world. He totally. didn't understand money, furniture. He's like, what, what is this? What do you mean you trade these bills for these things? I yeah, want to go back. Exactly. And as we'll get into she didn't ever have experiences outside of Scientology, essentially. Mm. So it's why I felt the need to look into her life and and have a bigger discussion about what consent looks like in this situation. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of men say, like, um, women, once they go to college and once they do these things, then they don't want to come back to traditional values. And I'm like, well, then maybe maybe then, then that's not a good thing. I mean, I like traditional values. My family's very conservative, but... If you go off to college or go off to the big city and you don't want to come back, I mean, maybe that says something about your life. Yeah. And also, if you go off into the big city and you decide you don't like it and you want to go back, that's great. You know, good for you. Whatever. Go raise a family. There's nothing wrong with that. It's certainly, in essence, it's wonderful. But that's how America survives. Right. Not everybody should be an artist in New York. You know, go back to your hometown. There's too many of us, frankly. I mean, I nauseated by us most of the time. (laughs) But yeah, you have to be able to discern what that means on your own and and to make that decision on your own and not with threat of going to hell or whatever other, you know, consequences there would be from other people in your life. Should there be a checklist, you know, like, have you had an orgasm? Do you have Have, a pair of heels? Have you ever cut school and you know, gone on a on the train and shoplifted an incense stick. Yeah, you ever taken your car and drove two states over and lied to your family and yeah, said exactly. you just went to Walmart? Yeah, you need to make a couple mistakes in there and see for yourself what that means. And you know, mm-hmm. I feel like it's important to mention that I'm certainly not suggesting the way I live is the way. Other people should live. I can't recommend very much of my life to anybody. No, same here. Yeah. And if you want to have a family and be whatever you want, it's your life. Exactly. That's your consent. Right. You know? Right. So Shelly herself seems to have disappeared into this lexicon of various unaccounted for crimes of the Church of Scientology. And we know about a lot of them. But she is a human being who is if still alive, kept locked away in a dark corner, whether or not she considers herself a captive. There's a lot of speculation she's being held in a particular compound in California owned by the church. And I myself needed to experience that with like all of my senses because I've heard of it, but I, and I've seen photos and everything, but I wanted to see it. So I went there and I will talk about that experience. You went there? I did. Wow. Yeah. Do you get on the train? You got on, in a car? I got in a car. So they probably got your license plate. Oh, I got a rental. Oh, uh, there you go. <laughs> I was super paranoid about it, and Henry was laughing at me, and I was like, I don't want them to trace us to our house, even though I don't think they have the power th- no. to do that. But I don't think Scientology has guns themselves. They'll hire somebody with guns. But And back when, when they were still more secretive, and there weren't a million people trying to call them out, it was easier to trace everybody. But now that it's out there so much. I'm just one of many voices. So (laughs) I'll get to that. We'll talk about that a little later. But I want to start at the beginning because I need to reverse engineer her life to understand how this happens. So the very obvious first thing is if who's Shelley Miscavige? Well, we know her as the wife of the current chairman of the Board of Scientology, David Miscavige. If you do not know what Scientology is, I do not recommend listening to this first you probably should go read up on it. There's literally a an endless barrage of information about yeah. Scientology. I think they think um, uh, the Earth, Xenar, 
Zenu. <laughs> Zenu. And then we all, you know. I like Zenard better, though. <laughs> Zenard's the um, unattractive brother of Zenu. <laughs> I'm Zenard. Oh, man. He never gets anything. <laughs> so, yeah, it's there's so many resources to look this up, but, you know, it, it was created, the very, very, very brief synopsis was created by a man named Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, who goes by L. Ron Hubbard or LRH. He was a science fiction author, and he also science fiction authored his most of his life and made up who he was. He was a con artist, all around flim flam man, and he founded the Church of Scientology in fifty two. So, it's been going for almost three quarters of a century. He knows what he's doing. Good he, business. He really did, and I think one of the keys to keeping a cult going past the original leader is you need a second psycho to come and step in mm. to continue it on, which is what happened with David. You just got to find somebody beating a horse with a hammer and you're like, aha, that's my predecessor. You know, it's not that far off, except David really took the reins of that horse and Elrond didn't really hand it to him as much as David took it mm. as he was dying. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. So basically, Shelly and David, her husband, were both legacy kids. Really, Shelly's life is so guarded because of her childhood she had. I had to basically read like 10 different Scientology books and just like kind of go through and like pluck out of these tiny little facts from people who kind of knew who she was as a kid. Because her parents were in Scientology too, right? Yeah. So they taught that they, ooh, it's like a long line of being poisoned. Absolutely. We'll kind of credit these books as I go through. And I also want to credit Tony Ortega, who is one of the leading researchers on Scientology. He has been working on revealing this before most people knew what Scientology was. So he has a lot of content out there. But let's just get into this. So Michelle Diane Shelley Barnett was born on January 18th, 1961 in Dallas, Texas, and raised in a family of Scientologists. Shelley's father, Maurice Elliott Barnett, who went by Barney, was born April 30th, 1930. He was apparently a handyman and sort of a off and on guy who struggled to find work a lot. Mm. Um, There's not a ton known about him. And he died in 2007, which is the last time Shelley was seen by anybody. Interesting. So you think her parents would be a little more up in the system if she married the big honcho guy? Well, her mother, whose name is Mary Florence Barnett Miller, who was known as Flo Barnett at the time, she was born in Missouri on June 7th, 1933. And it looks a lot like it points to she was sort of the person who brought everybody else in her family into Scientology. So she found it and then kind of just drug Barney along. As women do. I know. Oh, my God. It's always the woman in the relationship that pulls people in religion. So many people, like the mother passes and the dad's like, I'm not going to church anymore. <laughs> Every time. Well, I guess there's going to be a lot of men in hell, isn't there? <laughs> oh, sorry. I shouldn't have laughed so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so she, I think we can kind of discern that she was the forebearer. She was the leader of this bringing the family into Scientology. Flo, a very 1930s name, by the way. It really is. And again, there's not a ton of information about who she originally heard about Scientology from, but somehow she got in there. Because Scientology wasn't until the 50s, right? Yes. And she was born in the 30s? So she was in her 20s. She was an adult. She She, was an adult. There was no, yeah. Basically, when I say legacy kid, the first rush of Scientologists came in the early 60s, the late, late 50s, when he was sort of shifting over from writing Dianetics into actually creating this cult. So she had four daughters with Barney, and they were Clarice, Michelle, Camille, and Metary. Metary. Yeah. I don't know that name, but I kind of like it. But- well, Lafayette and Metary are both Louisiana names. Those are yeah. both towns in Louisiana. I wonder if there's some sort of 
connection to Louisiana or Cajun culture? I mean, definitely Southern culture. Acadians. I know Acadians came from Canada and then uh, scooted all the way down to Louisiana. And there's, so there's a big Acadian culture down there. Maybe something with Canada. I don't, I don't even know. know what Acadians are. Yeah, it's like this whole group of people. They came from Canada and they just boot scoot and boogied all the way down to Louisiana. And they live a lot. A lot of them are in Lafayette and they created Zydeco music. Oh, got yeah. it, got it. They're missing women in there? Hmm? They hide women? Probably in the swamps. That's the best way to hide a body. Oh, my God. The swamps are filled with missing women. Mm. We'll try to find them, though. <laughs> Metairie, regardless, uh, was a, she died as a baby. So she, mm-hmm. yeah, she just passed away very young. They were all born in Texas. So all of those kids, even though Flo was born in Missouri, they were a Texas family. And like I said, there, it was really hard to gauge exactly how her family fell under the LRH spell. But they went in whole hog. They were in it to win it. So a lot of this information about the younger years I got from a woman named Janice Gillum Grady's books series uh, called Commodore's Messenger. She grew up around Shelley and her older sister Clarice in the late 60s. And she was also a Scientology kid. So this is where I'm getting some of this source. This is the first known mention I can find of this family at all. She mentions uh, in her first book, Meeting the Barnetts in UK in 1967. She says, with mom now gone from the house, dead running at our guest room to help pay the bills, Flo Barnett, an American woman, came to stay with us while doing her auditing training at St. Hill. St. Hill is, by the way, in West Sussex in the UK. That was one of the locations where L. Ron was kind of housing people and training them for a time. So her oldest daughter, Clarice, age 10, came with her. Flo left her husband, Barney, and their two younger daughters, Michelle, known as Shelly, and Camilla, back behind in Texas. Clarice did not attend school, so instead she stayed at home alone reading while waiting for Terry and me to arrive home from school. So... So she didn't go to school? Oh. <laughs> I guess back in the day, it was kind of like, mm. you were hot shit if you graduated high school. Like, presidents used to be like, this is Tommy. He graduated high school. And I think especially for females, but there wasn't a lot of schooling going on here. Yeah. So essentially, flow came. A lot of uh, Scientology, you can see from this, that it drew people from all over the place. So we have Americans. We have people in the UK. Janice Grady's family is Australian. And so these people are kind of flocking to him already in the UK to this big compound, this big, huge, pretty house compound that he got called St. Hill um, that he acquired. So Flo brought Clarice to this place with her, and that's Shelley's older sister. And then Janice, who wrote these books, is closer to Clarice in age. Mm-hmm. This is really how I'm getting a lot of this information. You might be asking, like, did not one of these people get out and can tell us anything about what happened? And yes and no. Like I said before, Barney died in 2007 and he'd also they'd been divorced for a while and he had removed himself from all of it yeah. and kind of like lived his own life. And he's he quietly probably, he quietly died. He's probably like, this is crazy. And then yeah, he, he was eventually just like, oh, no, no, thank you. And Flo, <laughs> we'll talk about this later. She died in a very suspicious suicide in 1985. Really? Yeah. Oh, like a shotgun. But yeah, nothing. a long gun, three Shots to the chest and one to the head, and they no. called it a suicide. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Sometimes, like, it's just easier to file something as missing than to research. So I've, like, read reports where it's like, oh, the woman was hogtied and shot in the back of the head. Suicide. Natural causes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. We'll talk about that when we get to that that era. But, yes, it's um, it's questionable at best. So and then with the other members of the family, Clarice is still at the core of Gold Base, which is one of their main locations they have now, which I also visited and I will talk about later. She is still inside. Her ex-husband and former Sea Org member John Brousseau has spoken out on Leah Remini's show and other places about his personal relationship with Clarice, but not really much about Shelley. Um, but her ex-husband is out and is an outspoken anti-Scientologist. Okay. Clarice is also mentioned in Mark Headley's book, Blown for Good, another ex-Scientologist, as sort of a resigned slave at Gold Base. He said that Clarice, her older sister, is just sort of like going through the motions. But technically, she's also missing because nobody's seen her in decades. Oh, my God. Just like eyes have nothing behind them, just picking up boxes and putting them on the other side of the room. For sure. And then Camille, 
the other sister, sometimes she's referred to as Camilla. I'm not sure which one it is. She's completely removed herself from anything to do with Scientology and also her family. So she's alive, but she has, I imagine, in fear of the church, just like, I want nothing to do with yeah. this. I won't talk. Does not Nobody want find me. Leave me alone. Just living in the woods. So that's definitely not somebody we should be like, let's go find her. It, exactly. That is a missing person, I feel like, who has made her statement on Please leave me alone and don't fucking come near me. Yeah, she's in the woods yeah. fishing. I hope she's having a great time, you know. Mm-hmm. She wasn't as involved anyway, uh, but I did find documents uh, saying that she had been declared clear in 82, which clear, if you're not familiar, there's, oh my God, the fucking- The terms? The terms, the acronyms, the initialisms, it's mind melting. And it's really, I feel like, how they keep people in because- I cannot keep them straight in my head. I, my brain refuses to remember them because it's so asinine and redundant. Yeah. Well, I was like at somebody's house and um, they were like staying with somebody and the people they were staying with were Scientologists and they had a child. So I picked up this child Scientology book. And another thing about a cult is it gets you, you can't speak plainly on your own words. You have to speak with their dialect and take one word and replace it with this word. And Mm -hmm. you might not think it's a big deal, but it kind of is when it all adds up because words train your brain. And um, I was looking at it and the girl was like, you have to put that away. And I was like, why? And she's like, because if they see you, they're going to get mad. And I was like, it's a child's book. If I can't look at it, then that's their problem. I want to see a child Scientology book. Like, that yeah. sounds fascinating. It was fascinating. And they're like, you can't look at that. And I was like, what do you mean I can't look at this? I want to see what these kids are learning. And they, they got super weird. And I was like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. And also, if you're afraid to show people what you're teaching your kid, that's, that is a warning sign also. Yes. Wow, that's fun. I wish I could see that book. I mean, I don't, I don't think you can order that on Amazon. You you know, probably is one on eBay. Probably. We have the whole Dianetics. We have a, a bunch of the OT level content because all of that stuff has come out. But one of the, I think one of the things that really helps people stay in a cult is that dialogue. They have that vocabulary, their own language makes you feel special and different and above other people. Yeah, you've so, gone clear. Right. So you are now essentially higher up being in a lot of ways. So with flow. I mentioned that she had brought her child to the UK location. Like so many parents who found their way into Scientology, she became increasingly distanced from her children, according to Janice Grady. And Elron himself believed very grossly that children and adults were all old Thetans. A Thetan is like your spirit, essentially. Yeah, and he would have children around him all the time, right? Yeah. Surprisingly, he was not a touchy. He wasn't a molesty, uh, by all accounts. A lot of people think it's because his penis didn't work. Oh, is he I like know. a Michael Jackson type? Mm, kind of. Someone who loved kids, but there's no real... Like- Actually, I think he hated kids, which is why he wanted them to act like adults, which is what he did. So he encouraged and sometimes demanded families separate to achieve different goals for the org. That even if someone was your child in this life, they may have been your parent in a previous life. Therefore, you didn't need to worry about raising them because they were already old. Well, the family unit is one of the strongest units. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why a lot of cults, they separate the families because, you know, if you're a mother, then my husband and my children are above you. Yep. I'm going to take care of my newborn before I take care of this leader. Right. And they can't have that. No. They're first. Nope. Exactly. Uh, and they say after her pilgrimage to the UK, Flo had had her two daughters in LA with her at the Celebrity Center, which still exists. People never saw her engage with her children whatsoever. And that's sort of encouraged. You hear that over and over again in these books. The people who had parents and family inside of Scientology, they didn't see them very often. So you're already seeing the setup for the transition of Shelly being fully detached from her parents. And also you can snitch on your family, too. Like if they do something wrong. Oh, yeah. Some wrong thing. The whole the whole process of Scientology is pointing out other people's mistakes. Yeah, because then you get elevated higher if you point out somebody else's mistakes. And also anything you do somehow is somebody else's fault at the same time. It's very confusing. So the Sea Org is where we're going to go next because this is really what developed Shelley as a human being. Yeah, why do they like boats so much? Explain to me that. He's a 
dork. Mm-hmm. He lied. He had he has stolen valor too. He claimed to have all of these medals and stuff. And he was, I believe, enlisted for a while. But he created this whole uh, Elrond. That is, he created this whole persona that he had like been on these battleships and he shot all these people and won all these medals and mm. stuff. Even though it's easily traceable. That he didn't. He didn't. But also boats, you can go on the water and maritime law, you can get away with anything. Well, that is part of the reason he ended up doing that as well. This was in 67 when he created Sea Org. Mm -hmm. So he was telling people it was because he was going to hand off Scientology to other people. And he was going to go ship back into his adventures. He he wanted to go sail the seas and, and discover new things like he used to in his past life, which is all lies. But he, so he he wanted to start going back into that life. Partly also, you find out later, shockingly, it's because he was in a bunch of financial trouble with the government and he was trying to hide. Mm-hmm. But he, he didn't say that at the time, of mm-hmm. course. On these boats, he created a fleet and it started out with one boat and then he had two and then he had three. And when he was creating that, one of the easiest ways to get a lot of the work done on these old broken boats that he found was to get child slaves to come and help him. So... Ultimately, the Sea Org brought on children and teens to essentially be raised, groomed, and made to work by him on a boat full time. Awful. A lot of them did not come with their families either. They did not attend school at all. He, uh, during this time, changed from being called his name to insisting on only being addressed as Commodore. So these ship kids were known as Commodore's messengers. Oh, my God. They had some adults on the ship, too, who were doing... They were not sailors. He basically brought in just people from land and was like, you're going to be the person who steers. You're going to be the person who fixes the poles. The bow. I'm surprised I don't know it any ship sink. Terms. I mean, sailing across the oceans is about the hard work. I couldn't They almost did a couple of times. But basically, part of Scientology is like, if you can't figure this out, you're an idiot and you're bad and you're, you know. So it's almost motivating in a sense that if you're – psychologically drilled into believing you have to learn how to do something, sometimes you just do. You will learn it. Interesting. So these kids, they're just like 10 years old being like, oh, captain, my captain. They started out. So Janice Grady, the woman who wrote the book, she was one of the very first kids who ended up on this boat. She was, I believe, 12 at the 13, maybe at the time when she Mm -hmm. got on. There ended up being younger kids. A lot of them were between 13 and 17 years old eventually. And most of them were women. Yeah, didn't you uh, say women, girls, girls? Didn't you say there was like a little kid that like crawled out of a hole? Oh yeah, I'll tell you that story. And so, in LRH's words himself, this is what he says. He wrote in a, an actual—I don't think it was a book. I think it was probably some one of the many, many manuals he's put out in Scientology and your children. He wrote, "They are, and let's not overlook the point, men and women. A child is not a special species of animal distinct from man. A child." is a man or woman who has not attained full growth. Wow, that's brilliant, Elon. Thank you so much for that information. Any law which applies to the behavior of men and women applies to children. And then later on in different flag order. That's like Sharia law shit, too. Oh, yeah. So and, and later on, he also says in some other document, a thetan is simply a thetan. Body size has nothing to do with it. The trouble with children is that it is a generality that that's the way children are. A suppressive is a suppressive whether he is big or small. We don't have suppressives in the Sea Org, whether they are big or small. Big or small upstats get upstat treatment and SPs get declared. Do you know what half of those words meant, Amber? No. But that's it's part own, of the fun. Yeah, it's their own language and they all just think they're so special learning to speak this language. Declared? SPs declared? Yeah. Oh my God. So... <laughs> Here's a couple stories about what happens to the kids on these boats. I want to set this up because I want people to understand the environment that Shelly was walking into. And because we have limited information about her herself, this is the environment she was raised in, groomed in, let's say. Back on the Royal Scotsman, which is one of their boats, a cute little six-year-old girl named Angela was one of the May arrivals. Angela had done something that caught the Commodore's attention. Ron looked at children as adults in little bodies, regardless of age, and thus capable of acting like adults. The Commodore labeled Angela a suppressive person and ordered her to be sent to the chain locker. The chain locker is the part of, uh, it's like where the, the chain is housed for the anchor. 
So it's like when you release the anchor, the chain unravels inside of this little room. And That's so dangerous. Well, oh, this is all from Janice Grady's book. And this she continues. I did not know that she was there until one mealtime when I went to the poop deck where we were mustered and saw a skinny little girl climb out of the hole that the anchor chain comes out of. She was filthy and hungry, crying for her mother. I took her with me to find her mother in the below decks, and at that point, I made a firm decision that I planned to never do anything resulting in myself being thrown in the chain locker. So Janice herself is a kid at this point, and she sees this, and a kid's reaction is, well, I have to do whatever I can to never be in there, instead of going, oh, this is super fucked up. Yeah, because you're also so tiny. Like, how can you be like, get the boat home right now? I have a gun. You know, right. Totally. I mean, and as a kid, too, if you're being literally bred on pirate waters, you don't know what human rights are. Yeah, you don't know. Oh, my gosh. Here's this other one, too. I want to read real quick here. This other experience she watched this child named Derek. So Derek was a three year old adopted son of someone on the boat named Felice. He was the cute boy, probably the only black person on the ship at the time. Felice, like my mother, was a very dedicated Scientologist to a fault, instead of being a mother who stood up for her child. Little Derek was ordered to the chain locker for having chewed up some telex tape. Telex tape is how they used to communicate. It was like pretext message. Okay. Telex tape was about three quarters of an inch wide and long with little coated holes in it. When put into a telex machine, it translated the message in a readable form. Mm-hmm. Derek was even smaller than Angela, and he could have easily gone down the chain onto the anchor hanging from the aft of the ship over the harbor, or he could have climbed up and out like Angela did. Instead, Derek remained in the chain locker, crying in the dark for hours for his mother, who did not come. When anyone was assigned to the chain locker, they were assigned a condition of enemy, for which the formula is find out who you really are. Every day, the master at arms went to the chain locker and called down to Derek, who are you? Derek replied, my name is Derek Queen, because she did it with the lisp. After a few, because he's three. Mm -hmm. After a few tries, the master at arms let him out, but would have preferred Derek to say he was a Thetan, an immortal spirit, not a body, not a mind, and not a name. Felice later left the ship with Derek as she was transferred to Los Angeles, where I heard Derek continued to be neglected, getting into more trouble as he grew older, while his mother continued to dedicate her time to Scientology by auditing others. Oh, my God. What a horrible mother. This is... I mean, she needs to go to jail. There's so many people who should have gone to jail during this time period. What is he doing? Is he okay? I don't know. We should see where Derek is. Oh, I feel bad for this little boy. He's three. You put stuff in your mouth because that's how you learn about the world. And then they threw him in a dark hole. Yeah. And they were trying to, at three, already tell them that he was not who he was. Completely just trying to erase this kid's will and ability. Yeah. So this is how it was on the ship. It's not a wild jump to conclusion that this was part of the way he controlled the minds of the young. And how it would have been relatively easy to mold Shelley's brain into whatever he needed, especially if her particular genetic makeup was keen to lean into the doctrine, which some people were way more into it and some people rebelled against it because that's just human nature, you know. And Grady herself in this book acknowledges that while technically they're being shown the world, because they did, they sailed all over the world. She saw like 10 countries before she was 16. Wow. And she was being trained how to like run a ship. Um she was also not given a choice. And in many ways, they were basically had like a toddler's understanding of how the world worked because LRH was always telling them about how the police system and the government was corrupt, which it is. they are. Yeah. But instead of telling them to then make their own decisions about things and use critical thinking, you'd said, you can only trust me. I'm the only person who can help you. And so they were isolated entirely on water and at the whim of LRH. And he could teach them whatever he wanted. So she memorized Dianetics. She could spout off anything from there. But she also, in her early teens, could barely string a paragraph together in writing. And that's Um, another way to keep people in control. Because when you write, especially your own words, then you have a connection with your inner self. For sure. Oh, yeah. He didn't like want any of that happening ever. She writes in her book, well, with very few of us educated in civics, cultural or government affairs, political operations, we had no clue how how the world or governments operated in different countries we had come from or that we visited. We did not know anything about human rights or civil rights. I did not even know that as I had any rights as a child or a citizen. 
So if children are born into Scientology and do not receive proper education, it stands to reason that we would not be aware of any violations of human rights, such as child labor laws and the like. Yeah. And so, of course, she's Shelley Miskovich. You might have seen her. You might have not. But she says, I'm OK right now. It's exactly. This is how that happens. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. So Shelley's going to enter the scene here now. The Sea Org started in 67. Shelley's older sister Clarice comes in around 70, maybe 69. So the woman who wrote this book, Janice Grady, she was closer in Clarice's age. But they also, there at this point, there was about between five and ten young girls on this ship, many of whom without their parents. Shelley herself would come to this ship this main ship, the Apollo, around 1972. She would have been between 11 or 12 at the time. So she was joined by Shelley. Clarice was joined by Shelley. They had two sisters on the ship. The rest of their family was not there. So now that this has been established, the Commodore's messengers, these young girls, they wielded a huge amount of power on the ship. They were essentially considered the mouthpiece for LRH. So they would basically run the ship for him where he would be in his quarters and they would go back and forth. They yelled at adults because they were considered adults by him. Little girl sea captains. Yeah, they really were. Which And that sounds like kind of the funnest part of this job. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is also what they had to do. I mean, sometimes little girls are mean. Like if they yelled at a 12-year-old who's never been disciplined and taught empathy yelling at me, I'd be like, oh, I guess I got to move the thing then. You know? mm-hmm. that, I, I feel like I would have enjoyed that part of this experience. But there's also uh, other things they had to do. Not sex, fortunately. Good. Didn't they have like little weird outfits? Oh, they did. Yeah. Uh, a little bit later on okay. in, in the story, they just – because they weren't wearing real uniforms at the time. And then he eventually he let them choose their own outfits, which surprisingly are like crop tops and knee-high socks and like – Daisy Dukes. Weird. <laughs> wardrobe. I'll show you pictures. I'll post the pictures on Instagram also. They became like the leaders of the ship, essentially. And he was also in ill health at the time. He was on a lot of drugs, even though he promoted never using substances. And he, he they always do at the end, towards the end of their life, cult leaders usually end up addicted to drugs, continue the megalomania and the like their own internal persistence brain saying, you're not actually what you say you are and you have to lie to yourself over and over again as you get older it gets harder and you have to start taking drugs to do it so that messengers had assumed many little extra tasks on his behalf they would wash and comb his hair when he went to the bathroom this is uh janice speaking we would lay out his clothes powder his socks and shoes and fold everything ready to get him dressed everything had to be right because if it wasn't he would yell at us and we didn't want to upset him the last thing we wanted to do was upset him when he came out of the shower he would be in his underwear two of us held his pants off the floor as he stepped into them he didn't like his trouser legs to touch the floor god forbid that should happen we pulled up his pants and buckled his belt although he zipped them so don't worry about that we put on his shirt buttoned it up. We put his cools in his shirt pocket, tied his cravat, and combed his hair. At the time, he'd be standing there watching us run around him. Then we'd follow him out on the deck, carrying anything he might need. Cloak, hat, binoculars, ashtray, spare cigarettes, anything he could possibly think of wanting. We felt it was an honor and a privilege to do anything for him. The messengers were all potential high school cheerleaders in appearance. Pretty blondes with even white teeth and red lips, pert little breasts straining against knotted halter tops. Oh, this is actually a quote from The Barefaced Messiah, a different book. Bare midriffs, tight hot pants, long tan legs, bobby socks, and platform sold sandals. They had devised the uniform themselves with the Commodore's approval, and it gave them maximum opportunity to flaunt their pubescent assets to advantage. I mean, um, I remember being like 13 and being like, yeah, I want to wear a crop top. 
you know? Yeah. And my parents having to be like, no, no, you wear a shirt that covers you. And they'd be like, mom, I can do what I want. Sure. Especially on the job. I also think that there's a big difference if you are deciding to do those things or if an adult is encouraging you to dress like a slut. It's I'm sorry, I shouldn't say a slut. Uh, I didn't mean that. I don't know why I just said that. That's some weird 90s that's okay. back of my brain thing that just came out. Um, because I dressed very, you know, bare times in my life. I still do. But I think there's a huge thing psychologically. If it's something you're choosing as a kid to do, as opposed to oh, like an older person, an adult being like, yes, wear less clothes. Oh, I love it. Like, that's weird. It's going to do something weird to your brain. Yeah, especially when you get to be an adult, you know, and then you can go either way. I've definitely seen it where people are like, don't touch me. Yes. And humans should have touch or it's just like everyone touch me and you should have privacy, you know? (laughs) I know. Just, you know, a little bit in the middle somewhere. It's probably good. Yeah, yin yang. Yeah. So that was described in Barefaced Messiah, which is a book about L. Ron Hubbard's life and all the lies he told. It was also noted he would openly say that he was basically breeding children. This is a quote of his in the book, Barefaced Messiah. Yeah, it was an indirect quote in the book. He said it was an idea he had picked up from Nazi Germany. He said Hitler was a madman, but you should know as soon as somebody says Hitler was really bad, but like you should just go walk away from that person forever. But nevertheless, a genius in his own right. And the Nazi youth was one of the smartest ideas he ever had. With young people, you had a blank slate. You could write anything you wanted on it and it would be your writing. That was his idea to take young people and mold them into little Hubbards. He said he had girls because women were more loyal than men. Yeah. Again, back to the religion. Women are always like, Mm -hmm. I want to believe in God because usually men are like, no, I am the God. Exactly. I mean, and that's definitely what LRH did. As these girls grew older, they were on the ship and they were starting to get married off to some of the younger boys who were on the ship. And a lot of times, including Janice's own sister, she was not permitted to have her family there. So he, when Janice's sister was getting married on the ship, she asked if she could have her dad come on the ship and and give her away. And Elrond was like taken aback by it. He was so hurt that she would ask for her birth father because they had barely spent time with him yeah so she didn't she she apologized and let elrond walk her down the aisle and her family wasn't there for the wedding or anything wow yeah what a piece of shit i mean he's not great this is the broader sense so this is really like i was saying what the experience would have been like for shelly when she came on from the get-go shelly was utterly devoted to hubbard janice recalls and socially awkward and shunned by the rest of her commodore's messengers all teenaged girls so Grady is supposed to put out a third part of to this Commodore's Messenger series, which has not come out yet, but it would have been about the time when Shelley was growing up. It sounds like it's good position for her because if she's super awkward around her teammates, then how can she make friends? And it seems like L. Ron Hubbard, he don't want no friendships. So no. she was just around him the whole time. So and that's probably her awkwardness. Oh, yeah. The crux that actually did her well. And, and she just ended up being one of those kids who... Her makeup made her kind of enjoy this process as much as you could at 11 when you're shipped off to a boat. Just following a dude around with an ashtray. Yeah. You just like send your kid with an old guy on a boat, you know, like some who among us has not done that with one of their kids? Jesus. This is from the Daily Mail. She did an interview with them about this time period because they did a a brief interview with her about Shelly being missing. She said uh, and Shelly was also a couple years younger than Janice. So she still was also seeing her from a little bit afar, even though she was around for it. She said Shelly was not one to step out of line. She was always kind of in the background. She was very loyal to Hubbard, but she was not one that you could say, take this project and run with it because she wasn't experienced enough or had enough street smarts about her to make her own decisions because she was 11, I would assume. Yes. And an entrepreneur, like I was, I took the bus the other day and I saw this sign that said entrepreneur school for kids. And I was like, no, you're raising assholes. Entrepreneur school for kids? Yes. Oh, that sounds like a cult. Yes, actually. it does. I mean, it does. There is something to like thinking for yourself. Absolutely. But like, I don't know, read a book with a class. Like, have yeah. something to talk about that's a shared experience. Yeah. Don't, I don't think you need to teach a kid how to like buy and sell cars or something. Okay, so here's a little snippet about their education levels. Shelley was not, Janice said, well-educated. She probably went to fifth grade, maybe, and that was it, because when she came to the ship, they did not have school. They did have, in fact, 
three hours of reading, writing, and arithmetic, but that doesn't teach you anything about critical thinking or really how to exist as a human being. So she learned basic reading and writing. And she graduated from fifth grade, maybe. That is her entire education level. And David Miscavige himself, I'm going to talk about him in episode two, about his upbringing. He himself only had a 10th grade education. But when you look at that, he's had two times as much education as Shelley. Yeah. So, I mean, he's a real learned man in her life, you know, Mm -hmm. in her world. She did not go to middle school. In this article, Shelley gained a reputation among the other girls for being moody and for taking so long over her hair, makeup, and outfits that often when the rest of the messengers were going ashore on a liberty or leaving the ship, they would simply leave her behind. Oh, Look, so she was just like taking forever brushing her hair and didn't know what to wear? And she was also younger and they just, she was like an annoying little kid. Yeah. Uh, did she ever get off the boat? I hope she got off the boat. Like by she, herself? Not by herself, No. Uh, she did eventually get off a boat, the boat because they stopped doing the boats and they made Sea Org a, a land thing. But she was still trapped, essentially. She was just trapped mm-hmm. on land instead of on a boat. She probably felt crazy walking on ground. I, I mean, mean, yeah. I, I don't know. If you develop sea legs as a child, like, do you – does land feel weird to you? I don't know. Yeah, walking bow-legged and all crazy. Like, whoa. got to sleep on a waterbed for sure. <laughs> you definitely do. <laughs> Looking back, she admitted Shelly was a lot younger than the rest of us, so she did have that disadvantage, but she didn't have a very good relationship with the core messengers. So during that time, she was kind of isolated even within that group because she was a little bit younger. And when you're a teenager, two years is a huge gap where you're just like, ew, this baby, this gross baby. Yeah. Even though (laughs) I guess in that world, they still considered her a full-grown adult. But you can't take that adolescence out of an adolescent no matter how hard you try you're still going to be a shitty teenage girl you can't do anything about that yeah but as i mentioned they started to pair off a little bit they didn't encourage people to get married young but you kind of were encouraged because couples could get more work done they didn't actually encourage having babies very much he actually didn't like kids yeah which is weird you would think a cult would like want lots of children to continue and and it's weird i think for elrond he might be different in the sense of he wanted his life to be catered to he didn't really give a shit about what happened ultimately he wanted to be taken care of so all of these people were literally just like his servants making sure his pants didn't touch the ground totally and yeah. and he, they he got all these people to put these ships together for him so he could sail around on them and then we didn't want to anymore they got rid of the ships and they started building him places that he could be comfortable in he has mansions everywhere that are still waiting for him there's like six or seven different places where they have the house is completely ready for him whenever he returns which Whoa. is some of them are still waiting for him so we can go probably sleep there and is anybody going to know Unless oh yeah, no. They have they have hired security everywhere um, around their locations. So you could do one of those, you know, hide out, get some milk and put it in the fridge. No one will know. I get, I I actually think that they'd be one of some of the hardest buildings to get into for absolutely no reason. There's <laughs> like nothing going on inside. But they have so much money, they can just hire security. Um, and a lot of times they have. I mean, they have the Sea Org is a group of slaves. So a lot of times the Sea Org members just have to go do security duty on like empty buildings. Yeah, you don't pay them. No. So they just they make like during the 60s and 70s, all the people who have defected and who are talking about it would say they all made, you know, like $10 a week or something for their their time. I noticed something interesting in L.A. because their uniform is usually a white shirt and black bottoms. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and I've done some like catering stuff here, especially when I first moved to L.A. And they were like, no, all black. Do not do white shirt, black bottoms. And I was like, why? And then because they don't want us looking like Scientologists. (laughs) But it also works for Scientologists because... Uh, it sort of makes them accessible in a way where you're like, if you look fast enough, oh, those are just caterers. It's probably fine. Yeah, white shirt, black bottoms. I wish they had like a cooler outfit because I've seen some like beautiful looking young women. And I'm like, girl, show off that body with a dress. I mean, they still make them wear sailor outfits. They are still cosplaying sailors now, even weird. though they don't have ships anymore that they operate on. So and they still use like sea terms and stuff. It's It's a whole ass thing. So they were starting to pair off and there was a small group. They didn't get to see any other adolescents. Even though when they would go to shore in different countries, they'd have like their little time to be on land. They weren't like meeting people. It wasn't like a thing where you nowadays where you could meet somebody and then text each other. You know, there was nothing. You you are on a, a 
shore somewhere. Yeah, you're in the Moroccan markets, but like holding hands and like don't talk to anybody. I mean, literally, there's parts of her book that are that exact scenario. Yeah. And you can barely speak English yourself, let alone other other languages. Even an English speaking person, they'd be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Dianetic. You've gone clear. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you guys are weird. Get out of here. Yeah. So there wasn't. And ultimately, this is around like the mid 70s. They started having troubles. His his government troubles would not escape him no matter how much he sailed. And so the ships became kind of their own issue. People were questioning who these boats were with all these children on them. Like even back then, they're like, are you like running a sex ring or what's happening here? And they are you the CIA? There was all these questions about the boat. So eventually he had to kind of come back to the States and bring the Sea Org to land. And that's what when Clearwater became the mecca for Scientology. They basically brought the ships back to Florida and set up base in Clearwater. And to this day, that's where they are. Wow. But they still call it the Sea Org. Their main core, their most dedicated people, their literal slaves are still there. And this is when David comes into the scene. He comes in and we're going to get into how David became a part of this whole thing in part two. We're going to wrap up just by saying Janice Grady says there was a group of younger girls and there was not a big selection of guys. The two best guys were probably Dave Miscavige and Mark Yeager, who went on to become a different executive. One was short and one was tall. Dave is the short one. He's like 5'4". Oh, and Tom Cruise is tiny, too. I know. I I think that's why they're best friends. Oh, they're like two knuckles fighting. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But there wasn't a big selection of guys. And I remember a bunch of the girls competing to get Dave. And Shelly wins the prize at the end of the day. So we're next week, we're going to get into how David ended up in this situation. There's a lot more about him because his father defected. He had to escape. He got out. He wrote a book about the experience. And also his niece, his brother's daughter, escaped. And she wrote a book about their life. So, And sometimes escaping this thing, it isn't necessarily like a jeep ride through the jungle with a gun. And sometimes just escaping is a mental snap of just saying, I don't want this anymore, and just walking out of the gates, which is harder sometimes. It It is, especially because uh, in Scientology, a lot of them feel as though they can't do that. And there's a whole entire wing of Scientology dedicated to following people who try to defect. Mm. So they do actually have to kind of sometimes, even though in the grander scheme, they could physically just walk out and go, help me, I'm being held captive. Yeah. But, but they, nobody ever does that. They have to like sneak out with like a bag over their head or something? They do. There there was actual escapes in that way, including David Miscavige's own father wow. had to do something kind of similar to that. And it makes sense because your whole family, the people you love, your friends are all connected to this. So it feels weird to just give them the finger and run out screaming into the street. Yeah. I mean, it'd be like if I went into Scientology, like everybody would be like, you're crazy. I'd probably have to yeah. sneak in there, yeah. you know? <laughs> exactly. They're all trying to get out. You're trying to get in. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the rough beginning of Shelley Miscavige's life. We're going to talk about how good old Dave got into Scientology and then how they met and where it went from there. Yeah, how did she win the prize? This awkward little girl. I'm excited. I know. It's it's so it's so thrilling. She's such a lucky lady. <laughs> Well, thank you, Amber, for joining me. Thanks for having me. This was absolutely so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's fucked up, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like delving into the minds of these people and these people, excuse me, like why people make decisions, because you can look at it from the outside and be like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. But if you delve into the psychology, how they were raised, how their parents were raised, it starts to kind of make a little sense. Yeah, which is basically why I created the show, because... If I can't look into how this happens, I will myself go insane. Yeah. Mad, truly madly insane. And everyone will suffer. And there's a lot of missing people. There's like, I think state lines, a lot of police don't report back to each other. So there's a lot of serial killers out there right now. More so, one of the bigger risks, which we'll have many episodes about, is uh, social media has made it easy for kids to go missing because of predators being yeah. having easy access to them. It's actually technically harder now to become a serial killer than it ever was because there's so much tracing. However, it's 
much easier to get access to children. So yeah. <clears throat> that's why YouTube recently turned off the comments for kids shows because yeah. people go in there and they're like, hey, little boy, little girl, you know. Well, we're going to have a whole bunch of discussions about issues on YouTube. Don't oh, worry. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for joining us. Please uh, come back and hear the rest of Shelly's tale. And maybe we can finally help her out of this if she wants to be helped. And I don't know how to make that decision whether or not she even knows if she wants help. Yeah. But we're going to try to figure it out. We can open the door, but are you going to walk out of it? Come on, Shelly, get out of there. Get out of here. Come have an orgasm with us. Oh, my God. Can you imagine how much fun she'll have the first time and have have like a, a cocktail? Ooh, take her to a jazz bar? Oh, my God. Ride a roller coaster. Shelly, For fuck's sake. come out. Come on, girl. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll uh, see you. I'm Natalie Jean, and you can find me at the Natty Jean on random, you know, all the all the shit. All this stuff. I'm Amber Nelson, and I'm Amber Smelson on Instagram and Twitter. She smells great. Bye. <laughs>